Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Hallelujah. All right, I have a very crucial word for you today. I want you to pay attention. Listen, there are sermons and there are summons. And this is what I mean. This is an apostolic summon. All right. You have to understand that we have an apostolic ministry. And sometimes the Lord gives us instructions, gives us a word to prepare us for the future. To prepare us for the future. And God will have us positioned in a way that all the wiles of the enemy will be a waste. Wasted efforts. All right. Just in case you do not already know, we are talking about global evangelism. Global evangelism. Um, I want you to open your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. He says, For you see your calling, brethren. That not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. This is a prophetic observation where Paul looks at the body of Christ and he realizes something that is very crucial to the fabric of Christian theology. Not once or twice or even three times. Paul said this and it is said in different ways in the epistles. God is no respecter of persons. There is no respect of persons with God. There are few points that are as emphasized as that. There is no respect of persons with God. So when God wants to reach out to a man, he doesn't look at your bank account. He doesn't look at your background. He doesn't look at your skin color. He looks at your heart, your conviction, your faith. That's what counts with him. And so Paul makes this observation. He says, you see your calling, brethren, not many wise according to the flesh are called. Just imagine that you had to pass Wayek to be called of God. You have to pass your SATs to be called of God. Many of us will not qualify. But guess what? Paul makes an observation. Not many wise according to the flesh are called. There is no academic requirement for calling. Nothing of such. It says not many mighty are called. You don't have to be able to lift up great stuff. All right? You don't have to um, win any wrestling tournament to be called. Not many mighty are called. It's not a function of might. No wonder in the, in the book of Zechariah, the Bible says, not by power, nor by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Not many mighty are called. That's not to say there aren't people of might in the body of Christ. It just says that their might was not a requirement, a prerequisite for their salvation. And it says not many noble are called. You don't have to be from a rich background to be called. You don't have to have an influential biological dad to be called. You don't have to have an influential family name to be called. Not many noble are called. 
There is a call on your life to evangelize the world. We have, we've established that already this month thus far. And I'm here to tell you, no excuse will be valid enough to exempt yourself from this divine call. No excuse. No excuse of inexperience, no excuse of adolescence, no excuse of poverty will be sufficient enough, would be valid enough for you to be exempt from this divine call. Because God doesn't look at all of that. All he requires from you is faith. All he requires from you is a sense of urgency in faith to reach the world as he has commanded you to. And that's so crucial. You see, there is a natural propensity to excuse yourself from divine service. Oh, that's, that's, not, that's not new. The Bible is replete with several examples of men of God who tried to run away. Like Gideon who put up a fleece. You know, he wanted to be persuaded beyond reasonable doubt. And not just the same way, you know, you just want your conviction to be where it ought to be. But, but there, there was some bit of doubt. And God tolerated all of that. He said, okay, I'm going to put out a cloth. All right? And if there is dew everywhere on the floor except on the cloth, then I know God called me. And God did that. He said, I'm going to put out the cloth. If there is dew on only the cloth and not anywhere else, I know God called me. And God was patient with him. All right? I know this prophetically. Some of you keep coming up with excuses to run away. And let me just tell you, God is going to keep coming after you. <laughs> you cannot run away. You cannot run away. All right? <laughs> but there is a natural propensity from all of us. You see, even great men of God that we know and love had their share of doubt, maybe at the beginning. I've told you, do you realize what it took for God to convince Moses of his call? All the theatrics that went down, God went as far as lighting up a bush that was not being consumed. A bush that is on fire but is not diminishing. I mean, that was quite a sight. God went the extra mile to reach Moses. And the Bible says that Moses stepped aside to see. And when God saw that he stepped aside to see, God called him from the bush. And he said, you're going to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. You know what Moses said? He said, me, Moses, go to Pharaoh? <laughs> you need to find someone with more experience. And to that, God responded, I will be with you. Just in case someone is listening to me. You sense the call of God strong on your life. And you're like, I I'm not experienced. I was... I was I was just like you. I was just like you. When the Lord confirmed this call on my life, I mean, it looked like it was following me everywhere. You know, I remember I, I was in a prayer meeting and as if the prayer meeting was for me alone, so this man of God just faced me and began to prophesy of how the Lord was going to use me, all that he was going to do through me, you know, and, and I, I laid prostrate on the floor you know, I was in tears, you know, wondering about all that was being said. Yeah, the Lord had told me personally, so this was but a conviction. But the magnitude of the assignment at hand began to dawn on me. So I went home, um, and, and not actually was in school, so I went to my, my room 
wondering as I walked, you know, walked to the room, like, God, is this really going to happen? How is this going to happen? You know, and just expressing all my doubts. And then the next day, we had another prayer meeting. And the man of God continued. And he said, and the Lord said, I saw you <laughs> when you were asking, how would this be? And how would this happen? And the Lord said, I'm with you. Oh, isn't God wonderful? How he goes the extra mile to convince us about the call on our lives. And this is so powerful and important. All right. So God responded to Moses and he said, I will be with you. I will be with you. Your inexperience is not an issue if you realize and you reckon that I will be with you. And then Moses was still not satisfied. He said, okay, you're with me. Well, but who do I say sent me? I go to Pharaoh. On whose authority? Who am I going to say sent me? And God responds, I am that I am. <laughs> Moses still wasn't done. He said, okay, that's good. Don't be offended. But what if they don't believe? Yeah, you, I am that I am. Oh, that's awesome. But what if I tell the people, the children of Israel, and they don't believe? And God said, what's that in your hand? Alabatakabaya. And he says, it's a rod. God says, drop the rod on the floor. He drops it on the floor. He says, pick it up again. He picks it up. God is demonstrating his power to convince him of the future. After all that demonstration, Moses still said, oh God, find someone else. Has it ever happened to you where you were just giving excuses upon excuses so that someone will let you be? But for every excuse you came up with, they kept countering and giving you an answer and eventually you just had to go straight to the point and say, you know, I don't want to go. Or <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to give this example. Or you're trying to ask a lady out, you know, and then she says, I'm, I'm not just ready for a relationship. And you persuade her about that. And she says, um, my exams are coming. You persuade her about that. And, you know, eventually she goes, you know, I don't really like you. <laughs> Hopefully that hasn't happened to you. You know, but many times ladies say, I'm not ready. When they say they are not ready for a relationship, they just mean you're not the one. They don't know how to tell you. So you now wonder why one month later, the lady who says she's not ready is dating someone else. But anyways, Moses kept looking for excuses. Eventually he said, Lord, find someone else. And the Lord, the Bible says the Lord was angry. But all of this was just besides the point. The point is, Moses, there is no escaping the plan of God for your life. You're going to preach this message. No excuse of inexperience, no excuse of adolescence, no excuse of any sort will be enough. You know, when the Lord spoke to Jeremiah about his call on his life in Jeremiah chapter 1 from verse 4 to 9 and he said to him he said before I formed you in the belly I knew you I ordained you a prophet to the nations and Moses and Jeremiah responded like an African specifically like a Nigerian if you check the KJV in verse 6 of Jeremiah 1 the Bible says he said ah <laughs> I can't get over this. Get over this. It gets to me every time, or it gets me every time. He says, Ah, <laughs> Lord God, 
Behold, I cannot speak for I am a youth. He said, I'm young. You know what the Lord says? He says, do not say I'm a youth. Ay, 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 ay. This is a word for someone listening to me. Don't say you are too young. Don't say you are too young. When the Lord calls you, you are not too young. You are not too inexperienced. You are not unqualified. You are not. When the Lord calls you, everything that is required for you to be a success in the call of God, you are furnished with it. Abundantly furnished with it. Don't give excuses. Look at this correction. Do not say. Don't talk like that. Don't say I'm a youth. It says, for you shall go to all whom I send you. Don't call yourself unqualified. Even if I send you to Pharaoh, if I'm the one who sent you, you are qualified. He must listen because I sent you. He said he will go. He says, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I will deliver you, says the Lord. The Bible says the Lord put forth his hand and touched his mouth. Listen, the Lord has engraced you. He has empowered you. Your words are anointed. Your words are empowered. You carry power. You're not ordinary. Don't say I'm too young. I'm saying this because when we're talking about global evangelism, you know, some of you, you just feel, oh, let some other qualified people do it. Oh, pastor, we are cheering you up. Let me tell you something. There is a call on your life. And if you don't get that by now, you don't understand a thing about what we've been saying since this series started. There's a call on your life. And you can't escape it. You must participate. You must be involved. You must put your hand on the plow with us. You must battle with us. You must war with us. Stand up and be counted. It's time. The hand of the Lord is upon your head. Is upon your lips. He has empowered you to go. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19 and, and, and 20. From verse 18, he says, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. He says, Go ye therefore, teach all nations. He commanded us to go. His words carry power. We cannot but go. I, like the prophet said, it was like fire shut up in my bones. We cannot stay. He said, go. We cannot stay. We can't keep to ourselves. We must go. We must move. He said, this is the year of movement. We must move. I told you that the pandemic will not stop us. I told you. I mean, look at what is happening in Port Harcourt. Everybody is wondering in the midst of a pandemic, you know, when everybody, you know, is receding and entering their shell and, and being more pessimistic in their projections, their financial planning and investment, you know, but hey, listen, the money is for the gospel. We're not trying to build a multinational organization. We're here to win souls. And everybody is wondering that in a pandemic, this many people came out because guess what? There is a hunger in the hearts of men. Jesus said the harvest is plenteous. The harvest is. A, a lot of people from your natural human standpoint, you think there are too many churches. You know what Jesus said? He said the laborers are few. 
You think there are churches everywhere? Jesus said the laborers are few. He said pray for more laborers. Someone messaged her friend in Abuja who attends the Abuja church. She said, as the worship was going on, she said something came on me and I broke down crying. She had been battling, you know, one leg in, one leg out. She was almost an atheist, according to what I heard. She said something came on her and she started crying. She said, you are so lucky to have a pastor like Pastor Emmanuel Iren. So lucky. Hallelujah. Listen, there is a call on your life. And you have to understand the type of ministry that you belong to. Celebration Church is not the type of ministry you, you belong to and you won't do the bidding of Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, we're not here for fun and games. We're not here for variety. We're here because he said to go. He said to go. And no one is too weak, too young, too poor, too unqualified to preach. He said for us to go. Listen, he was talking to 11 fishermen. Many of them were fishermen. And he said, go into all the world. He said for them to teach all nations. So when he was telling them, he paid no respect to their background. He paid no respect to their ed ed educational qualification. He paid no He saw none of that as a limitation. They may never have traveled to another country before. He didn't care. He said, go to all the world. So now, fishermen had to renew their mind and think big. Because the destiny on their life in the gospel requires that they cover the whole world. Now you must travel. All you knew was that fishing net and fishing boat. Now you must think big. So a man like Peter, who is a fisherman, must know how to reach out to Cornelius, a general in the army who has servants, a man of influence and affluence, and preach the gospel to him. He must, because Jesus said go. And that leads me to the other balance. You see, God is so intentional. The Spirit of God is so strategic. If the 11 disciples were all the examples we had, some people would have had a very dangerous twist to the gospel and how, how it is to be preached. They would say that rich people or noble men are not qualified to preach the gospel. You know, we are humans. We all tend to be extreme, unnecessarily extreme. But God gave us more examples. There was a man named Paul. All right. And Paul was not exactly like the 11 disciples. In fact, one theologian said, if you were to look at Paul's secular and academic qualification in today's terms, Paul had two doctorate degrees. He was that qualified. He was a brilliant man. You have to understand this. He was a brilliant man. Yet, when he found Jesus, 
he didn't call, consider himself overqualified. You know, in many Nigerian jobs, you go for interview and they say, uh, you are too qualified for this job. <laughs> you are too qualified. You know, when they say, we can't pay you. So the same way I started by telling you, no one is underqualified to preach the gospel. Now I'm telling you, no one is overqualified to preach the gospel. <clears throat> too qualified to preach the gospel. And Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, he says, But what things were gained to me? Philippians 3, let me allow you to open it for a bit. Oh, thank you, Jesus. This is such an important sermon. Such an important sermon. Hallelujah. He says, But what things were gained to me? This I counted loss for Christ. So, I love the word of God. It meets you at the point of your need. So a rich, a poor person, all right, realizes that he's exalted in the gospel. And he can tell anyone about Jesus. And a poor, a person who is from a noble background also has to realize that all the things that people praise him for in a secular context, he must reckon loss in Christ. Philippians 3, 7 and 8, he says, But what things were gained to me, these things I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I count also all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. So you get to a point where you're like, uh, people are like, you, you know, I have two daughters in in Abuja, and this is something to talk about. I'm going to spend, I hope my peer will remind me, I'm going to preach a sermon on that. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, but one of the tricks of the enemy is to attack people who are beautiful or handsome physically. And when you are radical for Jesus, there is this subtle idea that you are better than this. Do you know how beautiful you are? Do you know what you could do with your life, with your body? When you're a beautiful lady, you know, who chooses to take a stand for Jesus, and you know people who maybe are not even half as beautiful as you are, because they just let down three buttons and show a bit of cleavage, you know, they enter some places and they gain some acceptance and maybe more likes and more comments on social media. And you have to look at all those things and look away. I don't even know how I, I got to this. But, but, but listen, if, you, if you're a person who has natural privileges... <clears throat> You must count them loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. I was talking about two of my daughters in, in Abuja, very beautiful, and they were out preaching the gospel. And the young man couldn't even believe it. So he interjected and said, ah, fine girls like you. <laughs> Imagine. It just tells you uh, the mindset of many people. You are not too beautiful. 
You're not too handsome. You're not too preach. You're not, you're not too rich. You're not too famous to preach the gospel. In your board meetings, um, in your school, feel free to be the life of the party, wherever you want to be. But when it comes to Jesus, show the world that nothing touches, <clears throat> touches your heart like him. Don't apologize for being passionate for Jesus. Don't apologize. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 19, from verse 2 to 8, that Jesus was passing by, and Zacchaeus, a very wealthy man, heard that Jesus was passing by. You know what he did? The Bible says he climbed, climbed a tree. Let me tell you something about mental models, because you've been in church, you've read it in Bible story books, and you've seen pictures. You don't really actually picture the gravity of what happened there. But I want you to picture a very wealthy man in your day. Maybe in Nigeria, maybe Dangote or Otedola. Now, picture them on a tree. Picture the type of clothes they usually wear, both in those days and in our culture. You know, many of them would like to wear native, like a flowing gown. And you have to climb a tree with that. And people are like, oh, that's the famous rich man that we know. What's he doing there? And they look down and they see the son of a carpenter coming. Oh, he's on that tree to see this guy. You know what I'm saying? There are some settings where if you're not careful, you'll be ashamed to identify with the gospel. Don't dare do that to yourself. Don't do that to yourself. Unashamedly, let the world know that you have put your money where your faith is. Your, that no one commands your desires like Jesus. A rich man on a tree. And Jesus looked at him and said, Zacchaeus, today, Salvation has come to your house. That's such a powerful story. You want to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch? Philip, you know, came close to him and he heard him reading the Bible. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And this guy was rich. But on, unlike some people that you know, they didn't pretend to know everything. The fact that you have money does not mean you know all things. He said, I, I don't understand what I'm reading. How can I accept someone shows me? And Philip said, can I join you and teach you? And he said, yeah, listen, this was at the time where there were no vehicles. You have to understand when you read chariots, you read it from modern day knowledge. Chariots were for the richest of the rich. Even to have a horse was a thing of honor. Talk less of to have a chariot. And the Ethiopian eunuch did not mind. A stranger who knows the word of God. And he said, join. The Bible doesn't tell us that Philip was a man of nobility. He wasn't royalty. But the Ethiopian eunuch wanted to know the word of God. Have you seen people who are so class conscious? They observe everything, you know, before they realize what church to attend. They look at the level of equipment you have, the quality of your music, the age of the pastor. Do you? I know 
There are many people who would love to be a part of this church and they're just worried, oh, there are so many young people around, what will I look like? You have to repent. That's a big sin. You know, there's this elderly couple who attends our church. And when their friends heard that they attend that church, they were, you know what they said? They said, so when you have um, events, maybe like a naming ceremony for your grandchildren or a wedding, is he, imagine what they were telling, that is this the young pastor who is going to preach for you? And the man said, sir, have you heard him preach? He said, no. He said, then don't worry. He said, when you hear him preach, then tell me what, tell me what you think. And thank God there are still few people in the world, we are not few, we are, we are actually many, glory to God, you know, who have learned to value the word of God more than social status. Now there is even a social status to church. Social status to church. The Ethiopian eunuch didn't care. I'm rich, but I'm going to hear this guy who doesn't have a vehicle, a chariot of his own, let him teach me the gospel. I just love Jesus. I want to know the gospel. I want to grow. The Bible also tells us about Cornelius. Cornelius was so wealthy. A man of means. He had servants. In fact, for you to know how wealthy he was, he sent servants to get Peter to come. In Acts chapter 10. Peter, a fisherman. And as Peter entered this rich man's house, because of how rich Cornelius was, you can tell his house looked nice. And he had servants and everything. And he was in his own house. He could have said, oh, how are you, Peter? Sit down. I've heard, I've listened to one or two of your sermons. You are doing well. I want you to keep it up and tap in on the back. He didn't do that. The moment the fisherman named Peter entered this general in the army's house. Listen, this is a general in the army. Not just because he's rich. As a profession, what he does for a living, he takes salutation every day. And the general saw a man of God who is a fisherman. And the Bible says he laid prostrates. Ah! Peter had to tell him, oh no, don't do that, sir. Don't do that, sir. Laid prostrate to greet him. No matter the station in your life, can I tell you what? Eternal life is valuable to all of us. There is nobody who by his natural privileges is above the importance and the necessity and the urgency of the gospel's message, both for him and for those around him. So you must preach it knowing that it's good news to all men. And no matter the privileges that you've had in life or the ones that you have not had, preach this message. Tell the untold. Reach the unreached. You see, I like the gospel. The gospel meets us at the point of our need. You know, in such a way that no matter your context, it, it, it is relevant to you. 
Especially when you talk about eternal life, our perspective to eternal life based on our personal privileges are slightly different, even though intrinsically the result is the same. I'm going to show you what I'm saying. I want you to look at James chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Very important story here. Very, very interesting story. So, James wants to tell us, you know, this same powerful gospel, what effect does it have on people of different social and economic status? In James chapter 1 verse 9, he says, Let the brother of low degree, this does not mean you attended polytechnic instead of university, low degree, or neither does it mean you finish with the third class. It simply means let someone who is not from a privileged background, let the brother of low degree rejoice that he is exalted. Ah, Yalabatrak, this says. Just like Moses and Jeremiah. Don't say, oh, you're, you're, I mean, why will Pharaoh listen to me? Who am I? God's hand is upon your mouth, upon your life. You have a message that everybody needs. You are important. You are valuable. And that's why some other place in that same book, he says, has God not chosen the poor in this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? You may be poor in this world, but he says you are rich in faith. There is a currency in faith, currency in the kingdom. You are rich in what really counts. He has chosen the poor in this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. You, listen, your biological parents might not have had any inheritance for you. They just died and there was no piece of land, no material, not, not even clothes to hand over to you. But he said you are an heir of the kingdom. You have an inheritance in Christ. Even if your parents had none for you, you have one in Christ. He says, let the brother of low degree rejoice that he's exalted. So the world tries to put you down. Every time you step out, the public tries to put you down. Act as if you don't have a voice because you don't really have money. He says, rejoice because you are exalted. Then what does he say to the rich? He says, but the rich, in that he is made low. Now, the same gospel that exalts the rich, exalts the poor, humbles the rich. And this is what I'm saying. Eternal life is a leveler. Eternal life is a leveler. The rich is humbled in the realization that no matter how much money he has, he can buy his way into heaven. And the poor is exalted in the fact that even if he doesn't have money, that's not what is required. All God requires is your faith. So from a natural, intellectual, socioeconomic standpoint, James metaphorically says the poor is exalted and the rich is humbled. Humbled that like the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. So he needs eternal life. You need eternal life. This is so important. So no matter where you are in life, this message is important. You must understand it. You must own it. You must preach it. The world needs it. And 
God was so intentional to give us examples. As a person from a low background, you have examples of people who did great for God despite their background. As someone from an influential background, you have examples of people who did great for God despite their background. And so, the Bible says, as it pertains to God using people of a low degree to do great things for God, he says, God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I mean, just think about the Messiah himself. If you were God who decided to come in human flesh, how would you come? First of all, would you even agree to stay in the womb of anybody for nine months? Would you agree? Would, we, would you consider anyone worthy enough? Maybe you would just drop from the sky like an, as an adult and just land, you know. And then there will be a huge bang, da da dang. You know, and everybody will know you have arrived. Or something like that. Or maybe you, you will carry, every time you go, there will be a physical cloud on your head, following you up and down. What are you going to do? Jesus chose to come through a woman whose husband was a carpenter. Think about that. Whose husband was a carpenter. And coincidentally, at the time he was being born, there was no, there was no space in any hotel. No space. So he had to be born in a manger. Where animals are kept, he had to be born there. Think about that. God uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And so, someone from such, you know, this was part of the problems the Jews had. When Jesus spoke with so much authority, they, they were like, who, who is this fellow? Don't we know your father? Don't we know your brothers? Don't we know your siblings? Why are you speaking like this with such authority? Who gave you this authority? They couldn't understand it. Because if he had come, maybe um, he was like the son of someone influential. He had money. You know, people are more likely to listen. But God didn't do that. And when he was about to choose his disciples, he chose disciples the same way too. Walked beside the ocean, saw people casting their nets, and he said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. I mean, just think about that. So, sometimes, God walks in ways, you know, just to confound the wise. He chooses the humble things of men to glorify his name. Think about it. People forget that Moses was Pharaoh's adopted son. Think about that. Why did he bother himself going through all that stress, challenging Pharaoh? Why all the back and forth? Why didn't he just wait for Pharaoh to die, then it becomes Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh lets my people go? I don't know if you ever thought about that. Why? Why? 
But God, sometimes, he wants to separate. So that some, he says, like Paul said, so that your, your faith will not reside in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He does it to confound the wise. So he chose simple men to preach his message. But like I told you, the Bible is also replete with examples of noble men doing the bidding of Christ. Let me tell you this. And this is what um, the conviction I have in my spirit. The reason why God chose humble men as his disciples and apostles initially is this. In the Jewish tradition, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were men of honor, men of privilege. And to emphasize a separation from that system, God chose humble men and humble things to, in a humble manner, show the errors of the system. It doesn't mean that God had anything against, you know, rich people and using rich people. No. Because the religious system, the religious elites, already were men of power and honor and influence. God brought someone from the corners to establish his name. He chose the foolish things of men to confound the wise. The people who thought they were wise. The people who thought they were the powers. The people who thought they had the right to determine, you know, um, people's religious and moral destinies. Just picked up someone from the side, sidelines, to establish his name. But it is noteworthy that when the gospel was to progress from the Jews to the Gentiles... The people that God used, I mean, I don't know if it has ever occurred to you. Who are the people that God used? Don't forget, Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the utmost parts of the world. And when you read the book of Acts, you see the journey of the spread of the gospel. God used fishermen amongst the Gentiles Amongst the Jews. But when it came for the gospel to be propagated amongst the Gentiles. Who was the apostles to the Gentiles? Paul. Who were the other men who heard the gospel and had the responsibility to propagate it in their system? The Ethiopian eunuch was a very wealthy and educated man. He was a man with icon. He was a treasurer, treasurer for the queen of Candice, the Bible says. A treasurer, an accountant, a chartered accountant. God used an educated and influential person. What about Cornelius? A man of means. So it's interesting that as, as it pertained, God used humble men initially to make a point. But that was not to say that that was the only caliber of men that he knew how to use. And in fact, when it came to the gospel spreading to the Gentiles, he used people from a noble background. And of course, people from a humble background too. So that's something very crucial to pay attention to. All right? Reference for the Ethiopian eunuch so that you can read it when you get home or when we're done with this service. Acts chapter 8, from verse 26 to 40. 
Cornelius, the story is in Acts chapter 10. Now, there is something very important I want to share with you. We see the prophecy about the Messiah and how it was fulfilled. Oh, he's going to be born of a virgin. He will go to, to the temple for dedication. He will ride on a donkey and all of that. And all the prophecy led, up, led to him on the cross. Every single thing had been fulfilled by the Spirit of God. And now, something else, the most important thing, was to be fulfilled. He was to rise from the dead. He had been killed. Hanging on the cross. Who is going to get Jesus down from the cross? The angels wouldn't do it. The disciples wouldn't dare do it. They can't go to Pilate. And the Bible in Mark chapter 15 from verse 43 to 45 tells us of a man called Joseph of Arimathea. He was a man of means. He was a wealthy man, influential man. And the Bible says he went to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus. And Pilate just sent people to make sure that Jesus was indeed dead. He sent professionals to make sure Jesus was indeed dead. And when he confirmed Jesus was dead, he let Joseph have the body. Listen, no matter the power of the prophecy by which Jesus was rendered, you know, a, a worthy sacrifice for us, it took a man of influence to get him to the tomb so that that part of prophecy of him rising on the third day will be fulfilled. Think about that. So I'm just letting you know that the Bible has a history where men of different status, stations in life were useful for the propagation of the gospel of Christ. So a man of means played his part in the fulfillment of prophecy. In fact, one of the most important aspects of it. How would he have risen on the third day in the cross? The prophecy said he will be buried in the tomb of the rich. How would the disciples, the fishermen, have been able to pull that off? They couldn't afford it. He'll be buried with the dead. He will make his grave with the dead, the Bible says. How would they have been able to do that? But the Bible says there was a man of means, Joseph of Arimathea. And he, though he was a successful businessman, also believed the gospel and he was waiting for the fulfillment of prophecy. And so when he saw Jesus on the cross, now it was the time to use his influence. Listen, 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 listen. The body of Christ must understand this balance. Like James said, the poor and the people from, of low degree must recognize that they cannot be silenced just because of, their, of, of the privileges they don't have in terms of social economic status. And the rich also must recognize that their wealth must not take away their focus from the gospel. Where all you are concerned about is politics, governance, and more money. You must be a man interested in the fulfillment of prophecy. You must use your influence for the kingdom. That's what Joseph did. Who else but Joseph or anyone in his caliber? with his influence, could have gone to Pilate. First of all, how, who would even let you in? And then you dare ask for the body of the controversial Jesus Christ. 
and you are giving. And then you put him in a very um, in in a, um, in, a, in, a, in a tomb. Poor people of those days were not put in a tomb. They just dug the ground and put them there. Just imagine that happened to Jesus. When the disciples said he, he was risen, they would have said, oh, you just forgot where you buried him. But if it was a tomb, now, I mean, it's going to be more obvious. Oh, who rolled away the stone? Oh, he was here and he's not there anymore. A man of secular social economic influence played a strategic role in the fulfillment of prophecy. Never forget that. So I started by letting you know that you will never be too less privileged to preach the gospel. And you will also never be overqualified to preach the gospel. God will use all men. God will use all men. Like, like Joseph of Arimathea, you can be a politician doing the bidding of God. Like the Ethiopian eunuch, you can be an accountant who gets filled with the Spirit. Carries the message of the gospel to his town. Like Cornelius, you can be a soldier full of the Holy Ghost. And can I tell you something? It is very important. It looks like God is making a statement. Why, why, why the Ethiopian eunuch? Why Paul? Why Cornelius? Is it, is it that God is making a statement about one very crucial way the gospel is going to spread in our day. Such that we will not be relegated to church buildings. But will be men also known for other things besides the gospel. Very effective in every sphere of life. But full of the spirit. And so this social economic you know, windows will now be a vehicle through which the gospel will spread. That in your office you can share the gospel with your boss, with your colleagues. With the people that work for you. He wants to use those vehicles as well. We are not told that the Ethiopian eunuch resigned. So that he can do the gospel full time. And that's not to say, listen, there's a space for all of that. We have all those kind of examples in the Bible. But I'm letting you know, as an accountant, that does not exonerate you from the gospel at all. As a soldier, that does not exonerate you from the gospel at all. In fact, I believe that God wants you where he has put you. In that office. In that marketplace. So that you can share the gospel. Listen, there is an extreme out there where people say, um, my workplace is my ministry. And so I don't have to preach from my lifestyle people will just know the gospel. That's not true. The gospel is news. If you don't say it, people won't know it. If you act it out, people will get the wrong message because they will think that because you are nice and because you are well behaved, being well behaved is the way to get saved. And they're going to try to copy you, be nice and do all the right stuff, but they still won't be saved. Cornelius was a well behaved man. He was a devout man. Read Acts chapter 10. Yet he wasn't saved. Because the gospel is that works don't save. I've already established that earlier in this series. So you will have to teach. Your business is not a ministry. It's a vehicle for ministry. Understand the difference. 
That's the extreme that a lot of people have, have found themselves entangled in. You will never find yourself in a situation where you'll be exonerated from preaching the gospel. You will have to preach. Your good works can be a conversation starter so that you can preach, but your good works is not the message. Understand the difference. However, God would have us stand on two legs. Listen, God is using us to raise an army of people. Using me to raise an army of people standing on two legs. They, he's going to strategically place many of us in places of influence so that we can influence you know, those, those industries for the gospel. It's going to happen. You will find key members of this church in politics, in governance, in industries, key parastatters in the world. And when you find yourself there, be bold. When you find yourself like Esther, having to stand up for the people of God, be bold. Don't keep silence. Don't compromise. You know, I was just scrolling through Facebook one day and I saw a sponsored post where a man of God said something very brilliant. He just brought my attention to the fact, my consciousness to the fact that the writer of the book of Luke was actually a medical doctor. And I, I always knew that. But think about it. A medical doctor took his time to do a religious research. You know, and came up with something fantastic that became a blessing to the body of Christ. So, I mean, when you're looking at the books of the Bible, one of those books was written by a medical doctor. As busy as you are in your career, you can still be so effective in the kingdom. So effective for God. So effective. And so now he's, he's, he's writing and he says, if um, having a perfect understanding of everything from the first day till now. I wrote. A doctor with perfect understanding. A doctor full of the spirit. A doctor who from his research could tell us the events from the birth to the death and the rise of Jesus. God will have us be like that. He's raising a people like Daniel. Daniel was so relevant, all right, in the politics of his day, that he, he, he lasted three tenures. Daniel was in office for 60 years. 60 years. So a king would come and go. A new king would come, but we still want Daniel. And that king would go, and a new king would come and still want Daniel. So he served three different kings. He was so relevant to the politics of his day, yet... Daniel wrote specifically about the prophecy of the coming of Christ. He contributed both spiritually and socially. So I'm here to say some things. I sense very much in my spirit that we must pay our attention to our careers. Listen. I'm not in any way suggesting that you jettison the preaching of the gospel. There are people who appear to be saying what I'm saying that, I'm not, that are not saying what I'm saying at all. But I'm just saying, 
anything that will start a conversation that will lead to souls being won must never be ignored. Never. We have examples in the word of God. I call it right use of means. God can use anybody. And because you are a child of God, every opportunity that you have, every influence that you have must be for the gospel. It must be for the gospel. Let me give you five reasons why you should pay attention to your careers. Five reasons. Number one, it's a great platform to reach more people. It's a great platform to reach more people. You know, the Bible tells us of a family, you know, a man and his wife. I wish I could read, read the story to you. Aquila and Priscilla. All right? The Bible says that they were tent makers. They were into event management. <laughs> tent makers. And Paul happened to be a tent maker too. And somehow... Paul began to mentor them. And you can tell that it was business that, you know, created, you know, that common interest, that common ground that led to Paul discipling them in the gospel. Winning them over for Christ and discipling them in the gospel. So you see, your career can be that common ground. There are people, all right, who may never have the opportunity, the privilege to hear the gospel from outsiders. But now they walk with you. Maybe you even drive in the same vehicle to work every day. Your career has become a powerful vehicle for the propagation of the gospel. Pay attention to it for that reason. There are Priscilla's and Aquila's in your office. So that career as a common ground becomes a window for the preaching of the gospel to them. Pay attention to them. Pay attention to them. Number two, it's a good example for those without. It's a good example for those without. You know, the Bible tells us about our, our work conduct, you know, and how that's going to be a good example for those without. The apostle made sure to, um, to show good example in terms of his work ethics. I, I want to try and read Paul's message to Thessalonica. Look at First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4. I'll read verse 11 and 12. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. It says, Study to be quiet and do your own business and work with your own hands as we have commanded you, that you may walk honestly towards them that are without and that you may lack nothing. So he's saying your effectiveness in your workplace will be a good example to unbelievers. That's who he calls them that are without. A good example to um, I want to say this, children of God, in your workplace, pay attention. Be a blessing, be an asset to that company. It's an apostolic instruction. He says, do business and work with your own hands 
as we have commanded, is an apostolic instruction. It's an instruction in Christ to be effective in that workplace. We talk about having a prayer life, having a study life, uh, study the Bible, evangelize, and all of that. Now I'm telling you, God will have you give your best in that office. Give your best. You know, someone was telling me about someone he knew who will resume at work and then before close hours, he would drive to one church program. You know, before, I mean, before, before the end of business, he would drive to church program and tell everybody's saying, where is this fellow? Where's this fellow? And he said, oh, he's in church. You took an employment, a job to work and you are not at your desk. Praise the Lord. Learn to apportion time for everything. All right? Apportion time. Give. Listen. You are doing the will of God if you are effective at that office. Can I tell you something? Don't give the people that are without any occasion to blame you. This is so important. This is so important. Give it your best. It's a, listen, they would know us for our work ethic. Go and read the Bible. It's a work ethic. Paul said, anyone that should not work should not eat. Imagine you had that mindset. Hallelujah. So it's going to be a good example for those who are without. Number three. We must be interested in any medium through which culture is influenced. We must be interested in any medium through which culture is influenced. Hallelujah. Can I tell you something? When you look at what the devil is doing, consciously using all these avenues, education, governance, media, entertainment, to propagate falsehood. It looks like Satan has been more evangelical than the church lately. Even um, sci-fi movies will have one, one, one message against the church, one message against Christ. We, we got to wake up. Any avenue through which culture can be influenced, we must be interested in it. Because he sent us to make disciples of nations. He said, make disciples. If you don't think disciples are being made through music, you are making a mistake. We must be interested in everything by which disciples are being made, by which culture is being influenced. And we're going to talk about that if we have more time today and then as we go on. And then number four is a more basic point. Number four. Fundamentally, Christians should be interested in anything that makes lives better. Christians should be interested in anything that makes lives better. Let me say this to you. When God made man, he said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it. That's an instruction for all human beings. Saved and unsaved. Whether you are saved or not, whether you're born again or not, whether you believe the gospel or not, 
at a very basic level as a human being, you should be interested in being fruitful. You should be interested in multiplying. You should be interested in, in replenishing the earth. You should be interested. You know, someone put it this way, and I've used it, used, put it that way ever since. God put two people in a garden and gave them the responsibility to make the rest of the world like that garden or better. And they did. He planted the first garden and gave them the responsibility to maintain that garden and expand that garden. So as a child of God, I'm glad you're interested in Greek language. I'm glad you're interested in Hebrew. I'm glad that you're interested in speaking in tongues, which we emphasize in this ministry. But hey, there should be a fascination in you, just a general fascination about how stuff works. How stuff works. If everybody in the world was like you, what innovations we would, are we going to have? Because you're not, you not interested. You don't watch the news. You've not learned to make anything, to do any, you know. What's your contribution? You should be interested in creation. You should be interested in advancing humanity. It's basic. And your faith in Jesus does not in any way exonerate you from this. In fact, it's more reason why you should pay more attention to this. Because God said to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So, the people of the world might be doing that just for more money. But do it because there's a divine mandate. Do it with a sense of a divine mandate. We will make the world better. We will keep discovering things. We will keep discovering what plants can do. The medicinal value in plants. We will keep discovering, you know, once upon a time, you know, the scientific theory said, matter can neither be created nor destroyed. We've discovered better now. Before we say, anything that goes up must come down. Once upon a time, we thought that planes to fly is not possible. The human mind has conquered that. Get interested in stuff like that. Alright? Just be interested in anything by which lives are going to be made better. Be interested in education. Be interested in governance. Be interested in media. All right. Number five. The Bible says in First Corinthians fifteen thirty-three. Before I tell you what number five is, let me read this text to you. In fact, that verse is number five. It says, "Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners." Children of God, listen to me. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. I can't stress this enough. Listen, some people think that all that the devil is doing through movies, music, it, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really affect you much. But the Bible says, be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. There's, a, there's an immediate context here. He's talking about, you know, um, if you're flirting with false teaching, it's going to affect you. People who don't pay attention to the kind of church they attend and what is being taught there. 
They just say, ah, well, I know all the issues that are here doctrinally, you know, but the people are nice and the music is nice. Be not deceived. Evil communication corrupts good manners. But general, on a general, more wholesome level, this tells you the power of influence. If you keep allowing Satan to teach what he teaches through music, through movies, we're going to have a problem. Have you thought about your children? What teenagers are watching? You know, the movies that are out there, the songs that are being sung, the kind of things that are being said, the kind of images that are being projected, be not deceived. Evil association corrupts good manners. As a child of God, you should be concerned about things like this. We must respond. We must respond. Because guess what? Many times people are watching these movies, they see all the wrong stuff. But it looks like there, there, are, no, there, are, not, there are not enough alternatives. Well, I, I'm telling you, we must come to a point where we'll be ready to boycott anything the devil is offering. I'm going to talk about that some other time. We must be ready. We must be ready. Don't ignore that. Can I tell you something? We must be thinking of doing movies. Ah, listen, 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 listen. So, as a child of God, I'm, I'm letting you know the mind of God in things like this. I'm talking about your career. So, don't just make money. Make a difference. These guys, these movies I'm talking about, they make money from them. But they are doing more than make money. They are making disciples. They are sponsoring their satanic ideas. Think of how you can shape cultures with your work, with your art. And as we talk about global evangelism, yes, preaching the gospel on a personal level will go a long way. But let's create more bridges, more avenues. Movies will go far. If you want to talk to people, you will do a lot. Talking to people every day. But your movies will go far. Your songs will go far. Your product will go far. As a person in government, your policies will go far. Think about that. So start thinking influence. Don't just think money. Don't just think power. Think influence. It must count for something. And when you have the opportunity to speak up for Jesus, speak up. That's why he put you in that position. Speak up. This is so important. So, let me tell you something. There is something the devil is doing that we must respond to. Now, it's almost as if the devil doesn't really care if everybody is in church. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter anymore. All right? And even if fundamentally, yes, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, and as people hear the gospel, they are saved. But he has created a system that is almost choking off the life, the juice that you receive in your local assemblies. You know, Jesus gave a parable about a system that makes the word of God of none effect. 
the seed being planted amongst thorns. That's what the enemy is doing. So that, you know, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches will choke off everything that you received in church. That's what he's doing. That's his focus. We must respond. So now, young boys go to church and a pastor keeps telling them, this is who you are in Christ. Um, and we, we, we instill moral values. Moral values regarding, you know, addiction to drugs, you know, um, sex, and all these things. Ah, great. Great sermon. Great word. But the moment that young boy is on his way from church and he opens his phone, all he sees on that phone is a contradiction of all you said. And he's addicted to the phone. We're going to talk about phone addiction. There are a lot of things I've been saying we'll talk about. You know, he's addicted to the phone. All the ads are saying the same thing. All the apps are saying the same thing. He goes to school. All his colleagues are saying the same thing. So now the devil has created a system that threatens the effectiveness of our work. And guess what? We are all not just living in church. We also have a secular life. And God wants that secular life to bring him glory. So how about you become evangelical with your secular life? And start putting a message out there. Start putting, you know, word out there that will influence the culture of the kingdom in that secular system. Start dreaming. As you want to pick your career, think of something that can make an impact. Let me tell you something. Do you know how many children go to schools and come back as totally different human beings? Do you know that your are teaching your children may likely mentor your children more than you? I mean, look at the average family. You just send a child to boarding house for six years. And then he comes back after spend some time at home, and then goes to school for four years. Some primary schools even have boarding schools. So the teachers have done the parenting for you. And all their ideologies they've instilled in those kids. They teach all kinds of rubbish. You have raised children in the way of the Lord and they come to school and they teach Big Bang Theory as science. Science. They teach your children that human, human beings were once apes. Unfounded theories are being projected as science in the schools. We have to be involved. Get involved. Get involved. You know, I was just thinking about it. Most of the pastors in Celebration Church attended the same school as myself. All right. And by God's grace, I met most of them in those schools and I had the privilege, you know, to mentor them in Christ. But just think about it. Think about it. Think about, you know, how school can be the right environment for something great. Take advantage of that. 
just in case the Lord already placed it in your heart to build schools. Build schools. Because can I tell you something? With schooling, you have a great privilege. You can change the lives of children. Not just academically, but spiritually. You can change lives. You can change lives. I grew up in a Christian home, but my encounter with Jesus started in school. It's a great opportunity. So think about schools. Think about governments. You know what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29 verse 2? It says, when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked bears rule, the people mourn. So, listen, more righteous people need to desire to be involved in government. Play your part. I know how frustrating this country would be, but the worst thing you can do is to now lose your interest because of all the rubbish you're saying. Get involved. If the Lord has asked you in this church to be involved in politics, we support you. We pray for you. You're going to be like Joseph. Or you're going to be like Daniel. In a corrupt system, you, you can still stand. And God will carve a niche for you for effectiveness, no matter the number of people that are trying to stifle your influence. We must think critically about music. Can I tell you something? Many, every Christian wants to sing gospel songs, and that's good. But hear me and hear me well. If we relegate songs about wedding, songs about, about marriage, songs about, songs about love to men of the world, they will sing it with the understanding they have. That's why we must sing about all these things also. We will not leave it to them to tell us about love. They must not create a narrative about what love is with their music. So thank God for gospel songs. I've written a couple of them myself. But we must encourage people who are Christians who, wants to, who want to sing about other things. And stop guilt tripping them as if they are doing the wrong thing. Yes, I know that is tempting, all right, to, to, to sing other things and, you know, to, to mix with other people, other artists and things like that. What we need to do is to create an ecosystem where they will be protected to remind, to remind them of who they are in Christ constantly. Not to discourage them. We need them. We need them out there. This is so important. Think about news. Think about media. Think about, you know, every political mind knows that one of the most strategic things to do is to have either a newspaper station, a newspaper company, a radio station, or a TV station. It's important. Check many of the newspaper companies in this country. Some of the old ones, some of the new, new ones. Radio stations, TV stations. A good number of them are owned by politicians. Because they know that anyone seeking political influence must have control over the media. Can I tell you something? If we want to raise disciples, we must also pay attention to the media. So if you're a child of God listening to me and the Lord has put you in that sphere, I'm telling you, we need you. And when God gives you the influence that you so eagerly covet, use it for, the, for his name. Use it for the gospel.
So like I said earlier, God is raising Daniels who will stand firmly in, the, in career and stand firmly for the gospel at the same time. He's raising a balanced generation in us. Hallelujah. And none of this takes away the basic responsibility to preach the gospel. Hallelujah. It only gives us more avenue, creates more vehicles for, to do so. This is so important. And the last thing I want to say is this. <laughs> One key player in these end times would be money. Would be money. Let me tell you this. There are men, all right, leading the body of Christ. A lot of people have issues with them. And if I tell you that I approve of everything that they say and do, I'll be lying to you. But I, as someone that the Lord wants to use to touch this generation, have a responsibility to be a big thinker, to see the big picture. And I can tell you one thing for sure. If the church didn't have the money and the influence that it had, would have been silenced. So, somehow, you might have an issue with maybe the doctrine of money that some of these folks have, some of these men of God have, you know, and all of that. But I can tell you something. The influence that they have has benefited us. And I'm telling you prophetically, as the Lord begins to enlarge some of us financially, let us celebrate it. We need it. Can I tell you something? Church folks tend to have crab mentality. Not many of them, but, you know, where you have an idea where you see someone from on the outside doing well financially and you are okay with it. Even celebrate it. But when it's close to home, you battle with it. We must have a culture that celebrates our own when they begin to do well because we will need it. We need it. We need the influence. If we close our eyes, they will edge us out. But that's not going to happen. So all that I'm saying is a confirmation to many of you the things that the Lord has asked you to do. Stand up and be counted. Don't stay in the corner. You know, just whispering. Stay on the mountaintop and scream. You know, you know what I like about John 7, 37? The Bible says, in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried with a loud voice. That very statement tells us something important. When it says the last day, the great day of the feast, that was the day that had the most people. The day that had the most people. And so, Jesus was strategic enough to wait for a time where more people will hear him if he cried. Jesus wanted to reach more people. And we should too. Every platform by which information is spreading throughout the world, we must take advantage of them. Because our message is urgent. Our message is powerful. And we will tell the whole world, reach the untold. Hallelujah. I just want you to pray. Listen, we're in a very prophetic moment. And for every one of you whose heart is aligned toward, to this message, you know, you're just saying, oh God, I've been faithful with little. And if you would take me to the palace like you did David, I will serve you there. 
I want you to know that God is going to lead you by his hand. And by his anointing, he's going to create opportunities for you to influence the gospel positively. Just begin to pray in the spirit right now. Pray in the Holy Ghost 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 right now. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, we've prayed. Father, in the name of Jesus, today, if indeed you put this message in my heart and in my mouth, confirm your word. And for every faithful person listening to me, whose heart pants in the direction of the gospel and is saying, God, if you will give me the wisdom, if you will give me the ideas, the execution, and the position, I would influence things for the gospel. Lord, I pray that the same way you chose David, you chose Daniel, you chose Joseph, and you took them to the palace. Let your favor and your grace take them to the palace. And not everybody will serve from the palace. Those of us who, you know, have other jobs, maybe even behind the scenes, thank you because there's a balance in this message and irrespective of all that we, what we have to do, we are effective in evangelizing the world. But Lord, specifically today, I pray for avenues like governance, like education, like entertainment, like media, those avenues for the preaching of the gospel. And Lord, I'm asking for more representation from the church in those places. That the policies will be influenced for the gospel. Thank you, Father. Glory to your name. In Jesus' mighty name, we've prayed. Amen. Give the Lord a shout of praise. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.